This is the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan, Japanese endurance racing covered by an American. Welcome back to the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan Super GT covered by your host, Griffin Wittenberg. Quite an eventful race at Suzuka and a shortened red flag race. So let's get right into covering it and some pre-weekend updates to go along with it. So to begin off, we have some pre-weekend updates, which I say they're pre-weekend, but it's a mix of before the race and some after. First, Michelin announced the reasoning why they pulled out of GT500, but are still staying with the BMW Team Studi car. So they said it's for sustainability goals. As a brand, they want a series where their tires can last longer, so not only they can prove to road customers that their tires are good, but also sustainable for the environment. I think this is a terrible excuse. If you read the article, you can tell this is an excuse. We know they've been losing customers. They only had three with the two Nismo cars and BMW Team Studi, and they failed to really keep up with their competitors. This is just an excuse and a scapegoat to prove to themselves that maybe, oh, we weren't as bad as we first thought we were. But I think it's bull. I think anybody can tell that. It's just an excuse. And speaking on the back of that Nismo team, Bridgestone is open to welcoming back Nismo as a customer. If you didn't know, the Bridgestone squad used to work with the team. And I'm not really surprised that they want to continue back with the team again. So hopefully they can go back to Bridgestone. They're some of the best tires in GT500 at the moment and that could really assist Nismo. So, big news outside, though, of Super GT, but related to current drivers. First is Ritomo Miata is joining the Toyota World Endurance Championship development program as a development driver and simulator driver. I think this is a big move by Toyota on their part. Ritomo is a top driver, and he is only 23 right now. Now, he won his first GT500 race last year at 22. I think in the future, he could be a big driver in the World Endurance Championship program for their LMDH lineup. He can lead the way for new Japanese talent as Kamui Kobayashi is aging, and that whole program really is they average in the mid-30s in age. So it's going to be nice to see if he can potentially even move on from Super GT in the future and play a big role in that team. Roberto Mary, though, he did skip the Suzuka round because he is signed with Mahindra in Formula E. He replaced Oliver Rowland. His first round was this past weekend. Uh, he didn't race the weekend before at Monaco, but in the Jakarta E Prix, he finished P18 of 22 and 1 DNF, so he finished above three other drivers. If nobody knows, the Mahindra team isn't the best team on the grid, so I mean it's an okay result for your first ever race in the series. 
Let's move on though to the most important stuff and that is the race rundown. We had quite a lot of penalties, a mixed up grid, and a shortened race. So originally the number 3 NDDP won the race, but after a mass protest by a majority of the teams except for Arta, they lost that race and got a 60 second penalty because they didn't complete their second stop. If you didn't know, there was a massive scary crash. Only 59 of the 77 laps were completed in the race, so they failed to do their second stop. They are protesting the penalty, though, due to the grounds that, due to the shortened race and their strategy, required on doing the second stop later. I personally side with NDDP. They didn't know a red flag was going to come out, and honestly, that's a decent amount of laps. That's 18 laps. You can pit much later if you need to. And honestly, if 77 laps were completed, they would have pitted. Nobody plans to just do one stop and get a massive penalty like that. I hope they win the protest. But of course, this is under the rules. They didn't do their second stop, even though they can prove that they were going to do that stop later on with fuel, the tires, and just getting some some input from other team members so we'll have to see what where that goes at the moment but right now it sits they had a massive penalty and they're sitting all the way down there due to that penalty so speaking on that the number eight was in that crash along with the bamboo airways j-lock car massive scary crash everybody's okay though so the most tool all tech number eight started p8 and finished p13 due to the crash not a great weekend on their end but luckily all drivers in their team are okay and of course it's not a super gt weekend anymore without a single tom's car pulling a ferrari and choking for their chances at a title fight the number 37 started only p13 and only was able to move up to p11 and get no points the other tom's car though started on pole but lost the win to right now the number 19 wed sport advan car after nddp got their penalty if the results stand the number 36 tom's car will be leading the championship in gt500 sadly arta struggles again finishing outside the points and this may show that their title fight is probably over. Both cars started outside the top 5, which is not something Arta does. They finished P7 and P12, minimal points for a top squad like Arta. In GT300, the Subaru R&D Sport finally got their act together and went on to get pole for Suzuka. But it does seem they're still lacking that race pace. And they failed to convert their pole into a win and was able to drop only to P6. They did get their first points of the year, but with a team like this projected to win the title by not just me, but a lot of people within the sport, this is disappointing and it looks like their year may be over. On the other side though, the number 25 Hoppy squad somehow doesn't start at the back of the grid. They pulled out an actual P5 in qualifying. But they did fail to finish outside the top 10. I think this will be their best result of the year. But I don't know. This could be a change of form for the squad. 
but that is the fact that most of the Toyotas in GT300 were on form and Hoppy has that Toyota GT3 Supra. Half of the top 10 actually were Supras in qualifying and the only Toyota that didn't start in that top 10 was that number 25 Hoppy car and four of the 10 Supras finished inside the top 10 which is pretty good. If you can get over a third of your cars into that top 10, that's really good form and it shows a good race on Toyota's part. Sadly, my new squad, as you know, because I have a big bet on them. Both J-Lock cars, though, have a poor weekend. The Bamboo Airways car got into that massive crash and the number 88 car dropped all the way down to P21, which is absolutely terrible. But good news on the BMW Team Studi side, they were able to take the win for their first of the year and hopefully can go for the title. They right now sit GT300, they sit in P4. Last of the big results though was the number 11 gainer car looks to finally get some points after a poor start to the season starting P2. But they did drop to P7, but just like the R&D Sport car, a team that was projected to get good results, only were able to score their first points of the year here at Suzuka. Let's talk a bit more on NDDP losing their race win. Even though they weren't able to do that second stop, I think it's undeserving that they lose that win due to a red flag that shouldn't be allowed. I know the rules with the pit stops, but guess what? Nobody expects a red flag to come out. They deserve that win. They showed good pace throughout the weekend, and losing your win to something outside of your control, even though you were planning on pitting later, is really bad, honestly. They originally had that win, but teams protested it, and race control and the stewards said that they didn't do that second stop, and technically they didn't. The thing is, those kind of things that are out of your control, you can't blame the team for that. Even though, yes, yes, you need to do your stop. I just don't find that a team should be penalized. A 60 second penalty that drops you really down there, even though they're going for th that title. If they get that penalty and it sticks, and they don't win the title, that race is to blame. And honestly, they should revert that penalty and reinstate their win because they deserve it. It was out of their control. They can't do anything about it. Now, let's actually talk more about that Michelin article. So there was an article on why Michelin pulled out and it is the most hilarious and stupid thing I have ever read. I'm not talking about who wrote it. That was really good. Michelin's excuses. These are really, really dumb. I mean, if you're going to come up with an excuse of why you're pulling out besides knowing that you were terrible. um. So this is what they said. So, quote, up to now, we have been using the GT500 class as a laboratory but the world of motorsport has changed in terms of how we can use what we learn there. Okay, that's terrible. 
you know you're not there for a laboratory to study the tires. Yes, that's part of it, developing your tires. You're not developing road tires, though. If you did that, you would go to a touring series. Because touring series are really close with the tires. You're using this as advertising for your brand. That's everybody. That's why they're in motorsports. It's why cars are giant billboards. And why we find it fun to watch cars drive around in silly little circles for hours on end. And companies know that. Tire manufacturers know that. So saying that you're using it as a laboratory is a dumb excuse. You're putting a lot of money into this. You lose money doing this. A lot of teams lose money, but they gain it back on advertising. I know this is super GT, but let's look at F1 for example. This is the biggest comparison. All, every single one of those teams lose money because they are advertising something. Except for Williams, they just exist because Frank Williams decided to start a team when it was cheap. And it's still around. But all those teams lose money. But there's big brands like Mercedes, McLaren, who are there to advertise cars. Because showing they have the best cars on the grid, guess what? That sells cars in real life to fans. Same exact thing with tires. Pirelli's an F1 to sell tires. They lose money. Michelin selling tires to customers of course, in the series, to make back a little bit of money, but they're still in a net loss. Every single team there is there, but if they show they are the best tires, they will sell more. And granted, some of this is true. I mean, pulling out because of the fact that you are the worst tire on the grid, and you don't have many customers, it's a bigger loss on your end because you can't make up that money with a lot of teams like Bridgestone and Yokohama have dozens of teams on the grid, but Michelin don't. So of course they're losing money. And maybe they're not making a big enough impact because their tire is one of the worst now. But coming up with an excuse saying you're using it as a laboratory is a really stupid excuse. If you're researching a road tire, you can do that yourself. You're there for advertising. You realize you're not competitive anymore, so you leave. This excuse just puts a, a bigger toll on your public perception within the series and teams may not want to sign with you because in the future, if you come back to the series, teams are going to be like, oh yeah, they whined. They failed to take ownership of their actions for making a bad tire that isn't competitive. If let's say in the future, they come back this time they actually have big customer teams. They're up there with Bridgestone and Yokohama in GT500. Let's say there's a big problem with the tires. Let's say their wet weather tires have no grip in damp conditions, but are really good in full wets, which actually are with the Yokohamas right now. Rather than changing the tire, and a lot of teams say the same thing, you're going to come up with an excuse. Teams are going to notice that right now so if you come back in you hurt your stock you're not going to get those teams back because they will think if there's a big issue you won't fix those tires you'll beat around the bush not to fix your tire so thing is you may come up with an excuse now of why you pulled out rather than taking action but this is going to hurt you in the future when you come back and also let's say fans of the series i know people of course don't 
think, oh yeah, Michelin is in Super GT, so I'm going to go buy their tires. It's sort of subconscious, but that will be in the back of potential people's heads where they're like, they're deciding between multiple brands. Let's say here in the US, Firestone, which is owned by Bridgestone and Michelin. They could be, oh yeah, Michelin comes up with excuses. They're not going to think that out loud. It's going to be subconscious and a customer may pick those Firestone tires over Michelin. So of course, this is, is excuse is pretty hilarious and I recommend you read the article. It's on motorsport.com. Go under the Super GT tab. It is the Michelin Explains Reasoning for Super GT 500 Exit. It's that article. Read through it. One of my big sources is motorsport.com because it is in English along with all things Super GT, the Instagram account. But it's really funny watching Michelin come up with an incredibly different excuse about how it isn't a good enough laboratory for them anymore, which if that's true, yeah, because you have no customers because you make bad tires now in the series and new sustainability goals. Guess what? Honda says that whenever they suck or they're not getting the goals they want as an engine brand. And then they come back when a, a team wants them when they're being successful. So I don't know. Michelin is just pouring um, resources into a program that isn't working. So they pull out. But do it by saying what the real reason is so you can come back to the series in the future, show that you made a mistake and you're willing to fix them. That brings in customers. I know it was quite a long rant, but it was really hilarious reading this and a lot of big things to say if they do return to the series. Let's now do our standings rundown since I have no other real opinions, except I'm kind of sad there for J-Lock having a bad weekend. They're really close to finishing top five. Probably my update won't work with them finishing at least one car in the top five in the standings, but they're getting closer and closer. So let's right now look at the driver rankings in GT500. GT300 is kind of a mess right now. So I don't really like to cover that as much with ever-changing drivers. And of course, with this, so they don't cover the car exactly. They cover drivers. Of course, points are spread out between drivers. But with constant changes, the standings I'm using is kind of all over the place. So in the future, I'll probably go through it, write it down, and then we'll cover GT300. But with GT500 which is the big one. Everybody cares about GT500. So we got the number 36 Tom's car leading the championship. One of my predictions of one of the cars that will fight for the title. NDDP Racing is sinning in second after their penalty. But if that gets overturned, they're going to take the lead of the championship. They're going to have a really wide margin. Next is the 23 Nismo team. Four points back on the NDDP. They have surprised me this year. I thought that car wasn't going to do that good. The team wasn't going to do that good. But they had a poor result due to that crash. Of course, the bad qualifying. So I think they can turn it around. Let's see if they can continue. Next is the number 19 Wed Sport Bandoa. Kind of a surprise on my end. Didn't really expect big things from them. 
but they sit on 22 points tied with the number 19. Next, one point back is the number 14 TGR Team Enos, the rookie car for that. And then what I was kind of expecting of Nismo is the other Nismo car, the number one Team Impul. They sit P8. They had a P6 and a P9 in their first two, but were able to get a podium. Next is the number 17 Astemo Real Racing Car. They sit on 17 points in P7. They've been pretty solid. Haven't finished outside the points yet. They had a P7, a P3, P9 at Suzuka. And now the big car, the number 8 Arta, who's kind of out of the title race at this point. They only have 11 points, only scoring points in the first ever race of the season with a P3. And they have a big driver lineup of Tomoki, Nojiri, defending Super Formula title winner, and Toshiki OU. So bad luck on their end and just performance. They may not be able to turn it around, but let's see if they can get some good results towards the end of the year. Next is the number 38, TGR Team Zent. They sit on 7 points, a P5 and a P10 are their point scores this year, with a P13 last round at Fuji. Next is the number 39 sister car of TGR, with 6 points, a P8, a P8, and a P15. Next, really, really disappointing. Right now, pulling a big Ferrari after they had big expectations of them, and right now choking. They only have one points finish and a P6 at Fuji. But even worse is the Arta car. This one just had bad luck in general, mix of penalties, and then just poor strategy due to stuff outside of their control. P11 would have actually had a podium if they didn't run out of fuel. Then a P10 and a P7, they have five points. Next, surprisingly, is the Condo Racing number 24. Not the greatest driver lineup, but always a solid team. But they only have three points with that P8. Last, kind of expected, the number 64 Nakajima Racing with a P10 for their only point at Okoyama. That is the end of the rundown for the GT500 standings. So I'm actually doing something new now with my predictions. First, I'm not going to do a prediction update every single week. I want to cover more stuff, more in-depth during the race, like I just did with Michelin. I wouldn't be able to do that if I did my overall predictions rundown, because that takes a lot of time. So I want to cover more in-depth stuff, and I think doing predictions every single race isn't really useful. A lot of stuff here doesn't change or stays the same from the previous week. So I think let's do end of year now. After that last race, first episode after that race rundown will be a dedicated overall predictions uh, update and to see what worked, what didn't, and why something worked or didn't work. But my GT300 5 up 5 down will stay with that mid-season predictions update and we will do that end of season predictions update along with the rest of my preseason predictions. So we'll have an end of year predictions update and to see where they went with everything 
GT300 5-foot 5 down, and just the overall predictions. Big move, but um, with a lot of stuff this year, with this really eventful season, we've had a lot of tire news, um, pushback of rules, so I think covering that more in these Race Rundown episodes could be more and more quality content than just doing a summary to save some time to do our predictions rundown. So hope you like that. We'll see how that goes. Right now, that is all for this week in the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan Japanese Endurance Racing with your host, Griffin Wittenberg. Make sure you like this podcast. Follow me on my Instagram. I will be expanding to at least Twitter and maybe some YouTube shorts in the future to help grow the podcast. Next week, I'm not going to say what I'm going to do. Like last time, uh, I didn't keep up with my promise of covering Class 1. So from now on, it's just going to be what it is. When it gets released, you'll see what it is. So that's it for this week. Tune in next week for what we have. And hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for this content and continuing to support the podcast. See you all next week.